Pulls up. Alamon rejects it. Big time block, Julie Alamon. Elderbrink goes behind her back. Puts it up. Big time shot. She nailed it. Bukete. Behind the back to Burani. What a pass. You are listening to the Women's Basketball Worldwide Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Women's Basketball Worldwide Podcast. Carlin Gay alongside Natalia Melendez and Paul Nielsen. Uh, lady and gentlemen, how's it going? I missed you guys. Uh, and, and we've we, let's be honest, we tried to do this yesterday. So let's not <laughs> fake it like, and act like we haven't talked to each other in two weeks. We tried to do this yesterday. It, technology failed us. So how have you guys been doing the last 24 hours? Hi, Paul. Hi, Carlin. How everybody that is listening to the Women's uh, Worldwide Podcast. Uh, yesterday, I was doing better. Today, <laughs> today I woke up feeling really down um, and getting tired of this. I know we got to stay positive and everything, but I really miss our normal life and I miss basketball, man. I just miss basketball. Hello, everybody. That that was me yesterday, yesterday <laughs> you know. I think I passed it over to you. Yes. The, uh, Feeling a little bit down, so sorry about that. But um, yeah, I think you're right. We just have to stay positive. And uh, cause the big question is, how are you, Colin? We never really ask you, Bizanka. I don't think as much. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm good. Whatever you guys have going on over there, keep it over there, please. I'm I'm in good spirits. I'm 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 okay so far. So I hope this uh, this little mild depression that you guys are going through is not contagious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hope that even more so for our guest who uh, who is carved out a bit of time to talk to us about life, basketball, and everything in between. Uh, she is Jennifer O'Neill, national team member for Puerto Rico, uh, also spent time at the University of Kentucky where she was a two-time, two-time, two-time women's uh, six-man of the year, six-woman of the year, rather. Uh, Jen, welcome to the program. And, and I'll ask you straight up, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Hey, guys, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm doing good, though. Uh, You know, I just, my whole thing is control what you can control, and it just helps me get through the day, and it's been helping me get through months. Yeah, it's, uh, I I guess, and and, uh, by the way, uh, we we did this yesterday, but let's do the birthday shout out right now again. (laughs) Uh, Happy birthday, and and welcome to to uh welcome to the podcast paul was supposed to go out and get us some gifts he did not do that <laughs> my birthday was in april as well so was natalia's yes. so all all uh all three of us on this podcast uh right. are, are aries slash tourists so uh welcome to the show and happy birthday indeed thank you i appreciate it well so what we we asked what would you do to celebrate how how do you even celebrate because i didn't do much uh, I'm assuming that you didn't throw a big party or anything, but what what did you do to celebrate during these uh, weird times? My my family surprised me actually with a, a vegan lunch and two vegan cakes. I uh, got to see some of my friends uh, through um, you know video, and my family came over, sang me happy birthday. We chilled, we talked, reminisced, talked about stuff we did when we was young. My grandma was telling me about stories about my mom when she was young, so it was a good time. A vegan birthday cake yeah it was so good it's <laughs> a vegan carrot cake and a vegan uh oreo cake uh, explain us how's that like how like how they do it 
What what do you have? It um, tastes the same? Like it I mean, I haven't had I guess normal cake uh in so long, so it tastes phenomenal. But it uh <laughs> they just don't put any milk or eggs in it or butter. So it's like uh I guess to substitute the eggs you would put like flaxseed or you know, you could get soy milk. Um they have vegan butter, so you just you know, just add and subtract like that. You guys should try it want, though. It's actually really good. I don't want to say that I haven't had vegan cake because I probably had it and didn't even notice the difference, but I haven't knowingly had uh, any sort of vegan cake in my life. Uh I, I as well had cake on my birthday, Natalia. I saw that you I had a party on social media. You had it you had a, a giant party on Zoom, right? <laughs> yes. There were like twenty five people. <laughs> I bought a cake. I did the whole thing. And you know, the funny thing is I usually don't celebrate my birthday. <laughs> like I, I celebrated in quarantine for the first time right. I, that, that big. <laughs> but usually wow. I, I, I hate celebrating my birthday somehow I mean, for some reason. But it was fun, though. It was so much fun. Must then, be a tourist thing because I'm not a fan of celebrating mine either. No. And guys, guys, did you did you two have like a birthday cake that was full of meat? And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's gross. <laughs> I, I'm sure if it was presented to me, I wouldn't turn it down. Uh, did, Paul is also, uh, is also, uh, I don't want to say against me, but he's, uh, he's meat free, correct? Um, yeah, pescatarian since 2001. Wow. And how did you come to that decision? What was, uh, what was the process there? Uh, well, I mean, <clears throat> it was briefly explained last night, but just for the listeners, uh, it was a rather nasty disease which uh, affected uh, pigs and cows, and they were burning all of the animals and putting them in the pits uh, right out the back of my house back in the day, and uh, the ex-girlfriend went to give us a bacon sandwich, and whoa, I was not eating it, and I've never touched meat since. Um, it is a little bit awkward because a lot of people give you a lot of respect for um, not not eating animals and think it's an ethical thing, but uh, much like when I vomited with tequila, just the very smell these days, uh, <laughs> it's absolutely impossible to even consider eating meat. So there you go. Yeah, I, I, I'm like you. I, I, tequila, I'm still good on, but brandy uh, <laughs> I will never touch. Um, but yeah, yeah me, uh, me and Natalia are going to hold down the meat eating uh, section of this podcast. Uh, and, and by the way, Paul, I thought we were all friends on this podcast. We were not invited. 25 people invited on Zoom to Nat- celebrate Natalia's <laughs> birthday. Neither of us got the invite. So we, we see where we stand now on the pecking order. You know, I should have called you guys. So you feel like I feel every time I'm in this podcast, everybody's speaking Spanish and you're trying to understand. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I would have struggled. <laughs> so, uh-huh. Jan, talk to us about... Um, how 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 is your energy level? How do you feel, people? Some because some people think like if you're vegan, you're not gonna have energy enough. But in your case, you're saying you're even feeling better about. Yeah, I mean that's not. I feel like a lot of people who say that probably haven't tried being vegan either. Mm-hmm, so it's just true. like you know word of mouth. Somebody told them that, but for me, um, I don't feel like I have less energy. I have more energy. I sleep so much better. Um, I recover faster. I have less inflammation in my body. So I'm able to like have hard workouts, recuperate really quick, and then go back and do the same thing over and over again. Um, But, uh, you know, I just pay attention to what I'm consuming. Mm -hmm. So it makes it easier for me. And then when you've been doing it for so long, you kind of know like, okay, I can get my 
protein from here and yeah. carbs from here and fats from here. So it's just it becomes easier over time. When you first started, it's it's pretty hard. I'm not gonna lie. And do you think, guys, that uh, one day <clears throat> that uh, Natalia and Colin will be banned from commentating at the vegan games? in 2030 because this is becoming a very serious thing and i'm not joking about vegans but uh there's a lot of people who are even saying vegans should have special status and stuff i know that's been a big thing in the uk i would really love to do it i just don't know if i have the will to do it (laughs) because you have to be i would say try it for a week try it for a week and see how your body feels yeah i mean see how quick you digest food and you know like try it for a week you should just at least a week Okay, you, you'll be my, my counselor. I'll be calling you, Jen. Okay. I don't know yeah, what to I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. <laughs> the, th- the thing is with me is you got to be willing, and I'm not willing, guys. Um, you know, if I, I liken it back to, to someone, I, and I don't do that, I don't smoke cigarettes, but I liken it to someone that smokes cigarettes. I mean, they do it and they, and they, they don't want to quit, they're not going to quit. And I, I don't want to quit eating meat. I love, I love <laughs> eating meat. And I know people out there, the listeners out there, and including the two on this podcast who are vegan and others who don't or, or pescatarian and others who don't eat meat in general, probably think I'm one of the most disgusting human beings they've ever heard. But I just, I know, I love, I love meat. Honestly, so uh, Carlin, I feel like you are the one that you're, you're, if your girlfriend made a vegan dinner, lunch, you would eat it because right. you wouldn't know. So she could That's basically true. make you be vegan. Jen, Jen, he would eat it because he would be scared of getting wrong off his girlfriend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a fact. She she does wear the pants in this relationship without question. Uh, but you, I think you're right about that too. It's also like, I mean, I, if the food tastes good, I'm going to enjoy it. I, I don't really, you know, I, I don't care whether it's meat or not. Uh, like right. it's not going to bother me if meat is not in it. And I've had meals, quite mm-hmm. frankly, without meat. I just, uh, you know, I mean, it might be a Caribbean thing. I was brought yeah. up on, a, a, you know, a meal isn't a meal unless you have That's some right. meat next to it. Mm-hmm. So it might be just a, you know, a generational thing that I got to get over, which, uh, you know, it's going to be tough. Yeah, my mom's like that as well. Like I tried to get her to become, well, at least try vegan. And she was just like, no, no. Like she was just <laughs> refusing. She, It was just so funny. She was like, no, I like what I like. Is it over? Is it like that in Europe, Paul? Um. Yeah, I think it's probably the it's probably the same the world over. I mean, if you if you live in somewhere quite cosmopolitan, I guess, um, then I think people obviously do make their own choices. Um, but I think we had a brief conversation last night about the availability of um of certain foods, and I know Jen, you said even in Poland, it's sometimes it's really difficult for you to um to obviously get the foods that you need, and it's probably yeah. still in infancy um in in Poland uh, the whole veganism concept. Yeah, it's uh I mean you have to go to certain supermarkets that you know will have like vegan products basically. But the the only country that I've um gone to that was like huge in uh having like a variety of vegan food was Sweden and I absolutely loved it. Well, I know I know that Amanda Zawi will be pleased with uh, with yeah. that comment. Um taking a machine of vegan as well. We'll have to we'll have to check that out with yeah, that's something we do. we definitely have to ask a friend of the show, Amanda Zawi, who was on the last episode. Let's let's talk a little bit about your time in Poland because you, that's where you played uh, basketball most recently mm-hmm. and kind of had your season maybe cut short due to the pandemic that's going on. 
what what happened at that time? What was going through your mind, and and how were you able to get back home to uh, the United States? Um, we were kind of everything we were finding out. The club really wasn't telling us. Um, it, if it wasn't for the Americans uh, talking amongst amongst each other from each team, uh, we really we really wouldn't have known what was going on. But then we were also reading stuff, and uh, I know I had family members texting me. And so it came down to the wire, and they decided to cancel the season. Um, so we sat with our club, and they told us that we would have to have an exit meeting um, because we winded up finishing second. So they wanted to celebrate that, and then we were leaving two days after. So it was, you know, we, we fit, uh, fulfilled our obligations, and then we came home as soon as possible. We came home a day before um, they actually closed the borders to Poland. It's certain. It's certainly the case that everybody has such an in kind of individual story about what's happened with coronavirus. Even though broadly, you know, we people are kind of getting home just at the last minute. Um, I just spoke to uh, Victor Lapena, the Fenerbahce coach, and uh, he made a similar comment that um, in Turkey, uh, the virus was kind of registering on on the radar very late, and he felt very fortunate to to get back with his family. Um, right at the last minute and obviously <clears throat> I do know of players who incredibly, I mean there's a, a few players I know who were in Italy for example who didn't get out and had to spend, had to spend a, a hell of a lot of time kind of by themselves and I think that's, um, that must be so tough as, a, as an athlete away from your, your home situation anyway but also obviously at a time like this. Yeah, and in the case of Jennifer, Jennifer, you were leaving Europe when where coronavirus was a big deal at the moment, but you had to come to New York. Yeah, I know. It was a big was, deal. Too. I but know. I'd rather be home mm-hmm. than in Europe because it's just like, it's just uncharted territory. Like being in Europe and staying in Poland, I'd rather be home where I know like where I can get to everything. My family is here. It was yeah. just, it was a better, it was just a better uh, feel for me to be home with this whole situation going on. Did you have any friends or, t- or teammates that, that kind of uh, got stuck either just in Poland or in other leagues that were playing around the world that, uh, you know, maybe couldn't get home right away, couldn't get home when they wanted to? How, how, like, how were, how were they able to navigate if, uh, if they did have any other issues? Um, I know Jasmine, she was in Italy, Italy and, uh, you know, they got hit first and hard. Well, I don't know if they got hit first, but they got hit really hard. And she was just stuck there for a while. And then she finally got a flight out, like, weeks later. But uh, other than that, that's the only person I had really, like, kept in contact with. Um, the Most of the Americans in Poland were able to get out pretty fast. So, uh, yeah, Jazz is the only one I really know of. Tell, tell me this, Jen, when uh, when you sit down with your agent, if you haven't done already, talking about next season, yeah. do you think do you think the experience that you've had with, uh, obviously with the virus, both um, in Poland having to get out and obviously getting back to New York, where I think that everyone on the planet knows it's been a horrendous situation for the city and its people, yeah. um, do you think that that will colour your kind of attitude and viewpoint when you're offered roles for next season? Or is it just something that, as an athlete who needs to earn a career, it's just one of those things that you just have to kind of accept in terms of going overseas and, and taking what work there is? Um, I mean, honestly, it's not like you have a choice. You know, I'm privileged enough to play basketball, but 
I also have a degree. So if I wanted to do something else, I would, but I love what I do. So, you know, I'm going to make the best decision for me. And uh, my agent does a really, really good job of finding me what I want. And um, so I'm not really concerned about it. I think that this situation is very unique. Uh, it's never, I've, I've never experienced anything like this as for a lot of people. Um, but other than that, you know, it's just, it is what it is right now. But when next season comes, it's a whole different ball game. Can I tell you something, Paul and Carlin? You know, I'm Puerto Rican. I can help it. Jen says that she have a degree. <laughs> 11, 11 of the players from the Puerto Rico national team have degrees, have graduated from college. Only one still in college and nine have full-time jobs. That's awesome. Other than that's basketball. A, that's, a, that's a good stat. That's a better stat than points, rebounds, and assists, if you ask me. Uh, and by the way, Jasmine, it's Jasmine Guatmi. That's what we were talking about, correct? It's not just, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah we, we got to inform the listeners because not everybody goes on the first name basis uh, yeah, around, like, around town like uh, Natalia does. Natalia's almost like Madonna. Uh, you just say her name. Everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. Um, in, in terms of what, when you were kind of discussing about even just getting to Poland for you specifically, because a lot of the girls on the team uh, play uh, on the national Puerto Rican national team play locally in Puerto Rico or, or play very local uh, nearby. And you were one of the few that actually got the opportunity to go to Europe. And uh, how did that come about? And, and what sort of, you know, what sort of uh, kind of experience did you take away from being there? Um. How did it come about playing in Europe? I mean, it's really, <clears throat> I just had a, I just had agents that had placed me in good positions at the, at, at the beginning of my season, at the beginning of my career, um, to basically be able to play in Europe. Um, I was able to perform over there. And the biggest thing in Europe is like your first season as a rookie is a showcase, So once you prove yourself and, you know, you got to play both ends of the floor, you got to score, you got to play defense, you got to, uh, you got to basically do your job. Then you, then it opens up uh, more doors for you and more, op more opportunities. But that's how it really came about. You know, I was just lucky enough to be put in a, in a great position at the beginning. And it's, um, <clears throat> it's the case, of course, uh, Jennifer, that and unless I'm very much mistaken, uh, You, you got to play for um, what most uh, fans, especially in Europe, would call one of the legendary clubs in, uh, in Spartak um, Moscow. Um, Four-time EuroLeague Women Champions back in the day with uh, our, my friend Sue Bird, Diana Tarazi, um, all those <laughs> great names. And you obviously got to go there and, and, and play in the Russian League. What, what was that like when you, when you kind of walked into that environment? Um, I was just coming to do a job, you know, at the end of the day. And, um, as I was there, uh, I, uh, I, I, I knew about the club, but I didn't really know about it. And then I started reading about the history and, um, how big the club was back when, uh, Diana and Sue played. And now it's transitioned into like, almost like an academy for young players coming up. So it's almost like uh, in Europe, uh, they have this, um, I don't know the correct terminology, but they have like sports schools. Mm -hmm. So they go to the school to become a professional basketball player, etc. And that's what Spartak has become. Yeah. Well, when I, when I, I went there um, for a FIBA under 19 Worlds a few years ago, 
um, and uh, Steve Costales, the the general manager, um, kindly on the day off took me over to the the place where the young girls, I think, even as young as eleven, twelve, come oh, wow. from all over Russia. Yeah. To kind they, of they, be there. They're younger than that too. Yeah, and uh, I mean that's where Masha Vadeva, you know, players like this, um, who are now obviously huge stars, um, spent their time with a great basketball experience. Um, and I, I'm, I'm guessing Steve took you in. He took me into this room in, in the um, in the arena itself, where I think everyone used to hang out. Shabtai, the former owner, great yeah. pictures on the wall. I mean, it's it's quite the trophy room when you go in. It was um, it's just as a fan, it was just such a good experience to see the kind of link between the how they were developing the young talent, um, but also at the top level how they won won trophies as well with a, with world class players. It's it's quite the place. Yeah, it's definitely a historic club, for sure. When you when you sort of uh, you know because you, you as you said you sh- you kind of got the opportunity to go there and for you it was, you know what I'm coming to do uh, what I got to do it's a, it's a it's a it's a job for me but when you get there and you see the history and you see uh, you know the prestige that the program and the club has and you and you start to hear about some of the former players that played there like Paul mentioned the Sue Birds. Tamika Catchings of the world, Diana Taurasi, Sibley Fowles, Becky Hemp, you know, Lauren Jackson's of the world, you know, these all-time greats. And and now you have the opportunity to wear the same jerseys that they had. Does that add pressure to you or, or, or does it give you a sense no. of pride that you, you made it there? No, it doesn't. It doesn't add pressure. I mean, I'm happy for the opportunity, but it that's it. It's not, it's not anything more than that. I mean, the club, I'm, I'm, it's amazing to see what that club has has done and did, you know, when Shaptai was there. But um, no, for me, it's just it's so simpler than that. It's just I go there, do a job, and, you know, I'm happy to be a part of it. I'm happy that my name will forever be tied to that club. But other than that, like the next season, I'm off, I'm off to somewhere else, so it doesn't really – you know, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't there for a long time, like the way the Sue Bird and Diana were. It was just one and done, really. Jennifer, you've been in the, <clears throat> you've been in the WNBA, and now you are playing in Europe. Where yeah. do you feel more comfortable? I know in the um, WNBA you were, you were really young, but like, where do you feel more comfortable? Yeah, it's two different, it's two different stages in my career and my, and in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in the WNBA, it's like you have to find find where you fit in, you know, and you have a role and you have to do that role. In Europe, um, I can kind of play my game, you know. It's a, It also depends on the club you go to. But um, for me right now at this stage, uh, Europe is where it's at for me, for sure, without a doubt. And I guess, uh, <clears throat> Natalia? Yes? I guess. You're just waiting to burst with enthusiasm when we get to the national team. Yes. <laughs> I can sense it. I think, you know, how you're having a really um, feeling a bit down today. I think that's going to be wiped away when uh, I'm sure Colin is about to lead us into all of the national team stuff. Uh, from, I, I, from exactly. The, from the world to, to obviously that game against Brazil. And I want to hear every detail about it. Oh, yeah. B- before we get to those games, I want to I hear about uh, when you first got the opportunity uh, to wear you know, the, the flag on your chest, essentially, and, and represent the national team. I, I, know, I know players talk about it kind of offhand, but 
Um, you know, was it a surprise to you? And 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 how? And I guess what was the the best phone call you received as a congratulations when when you were able to to kind of represent the country? Um. Okay, my very first time, I was uh, I think eighteen, nineteen. I was still in college. Mm-hmm. Um, Omar was the coach, and I went. I was just coming off an injury uh, in college. I had went to Puerto Rico to basically try out, and I did not play. I barely touched the floor. Like, I didn't really (laughs) play minutes or anything like that. Um, I remember, like, uh, Omar had, like, took my demeanor the wrong way, but like I said, I was just there to to do a job. Yeah. And he kind of took it as like, if you don't want to be here, you don't have to be here. And and I'm just looking at him like, well, dude, if you're going to cut me, just cut me. Because mm-hmm. like wh- what you're saying is not going to resonate with me. Like, you know, if you're going to, this is just do what you got to do. And then er- <laughs> after that, uh, I still didn't play, but me and Omar had a great relationship. So that was the first time I played for the national team ever. <laughs> Omar being Omar, I I believe every word you said. Yeah, that's a true story, though, actually. Like, that's super true. And then... uh... Jen, in 2012, I'm I'm just thinking back, you would have been on the team that was in Turkey for the Olympic qualifiers, correct? Yeah, Mm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I remember that that I remember that tournament, and I, I was just thinking, would that have been around the time when you were kind of making the transition into the team? Um, that was the the Turkey trip. I think was my first my first time playing on a national team. Yeah. So, so it was a experience in itself. There's there's a having been to Puerto Rico and seen uh, a tournament there in person. Yeah. And I could say this really for a lot of countries around the world, but I felt it. I felt it especially in Puerto Rico. There is a, a, a national pride uh, that comes with just representing your country. It doesn't matter the sport. It could be it could be lawn bowling. It could be fencing. It could be track and field. Anything, but especially when it comes to to, to baseball, ba- basketball, and boxing, yeah. there's just another level of national pride that. Yeah, that I mean, it just really you feel it bursting through. And yeah. there's no part of me that's Puerto Rican, but I felt like I had to. A part of me wanted to root for the Puerto Rican national team, just being around that sort of atmosphere. What, what's it like? Yeah, what's it like being in that? Yeah, what's it like being in that? Um, I it's a my so my um my first year I didn't really like um I didn't feel it, you know I didn't. I was there, but I was just there. You know, I wasn't like emotionally attached. And then years years later, it's like, wow, I'm actually like, I start to be emotional about being on a national team. I never expected that to happen. But to see how much love, you know, we get from the island and how proud our families are, like, it's just, it's amazing. It, it feels like one giant family. And that's the best feeling when you go somewhere and you feel loved and appreciated it's it nothing beats it Do, is that it was that more so you didn't feel that the connection at first more so because you were born in the u.s and and then sort of were playing uh via just family ties or w- w- was it something else no that's exactly what it was i was born in the u.s um i barely i mean i don't really speak spanish i barely understood it at that moment it was mm-hmm. like 
not that I understand it more now, but just I could pick up on words better now. Um, but yeah, that's what it was though. It was, you know, like that's exactly what it was. And if I said it was something different, I'd be lying. It, it's a political what? situation. It happens with the boys too. And in the case of uh, Renaldo Bogman and Ramon Clemente, it takes them, you know, a few years, a few months maybe to get attached to the team because you have to remember, Carlin and Paul, that when these girls, like example, Jennifer and Jasmine, come from the States, nobody knows who they are. And sometimes the girls, I don't know if you felt that that way, Jennifer, like pushed them away a little bit, you know, and it's, it's not until they started meeting each other that they, they received them as, as one of their own. It's, it's, it's a process. It's, it's, it's definitely like a, it's, it is a process and that's exactly what it is. It's like when you meet somebody, you're getting to know them all over again. You're getting to know, if, yeah. okay, do I like them? Do I not like them? Like, that's basically what it is. Because I remember when, when, when I was playing, they had this girl, Felicity Willis. I don't know if you remember who she was. And she was going to try to take my position. And, mm -hmm. and I will put the whole team against her. You know what I mean? Because, you, you know, you're stupid when you're young. And it, it's just like, she's not from here. Like, I don't want her here. And, yeah. And it's yeah. And I, I think, I, I do think that that's a, see, that's the thing. Like, I, I don't feel like that. If somebody, if, if people came, if we had a team in, I don't know, New York or something like that, and they came from my island, I wouldn't feel like that because, yeah. you know, that's just not me. But some people are like that, and it yes. doesn't bother me. It's just part of, like, it's just part of what we're doing, and I wish it wasn't like that. I wish that more no. women were just, like, uh, you know, come welcoming and open uh, with open mm -hmm. arms, but that's not the situation. Because you But, were in a, on an on a NCAA and you've been in New York, big state, and you're used to that. You have to, you know, you yeah, come here, so you gain your place. Yeah. But but in Ireland, a hundred times thirty five, is part of the culture. That's yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's so it, you know, it just it just it is what it is. But for mm -hmm. me, it's like, you know, I'm not in competition with anybody. I want yes. us all to, you know, be at the dinner table, and that's like right now how I feel. Right now, this team, like your team, it's it's everybody's you know fall in love with this team, and and you guys seem like really close, like sisters. Yeah, we are like, close. Like we we are really close. We we might be a little too close. Like you know, we we um we are really like a family. We joke and snap with each other. We get on each other. Like it's it's a it's a it's a huge sisterhood. Honestly, like it is. I love the group that we have right now. I was going to say that. And, and Paul, you've been through this, and, and Natalia, you've been through this as well, uh, having covered FIBA events. When you get there the day before, you have the or a couple days before, you have the opportunity to kind of go through and watch the team take pictures uh, for, for the media guide and, and whatnot. And I sat there and, and watched a lot of teams come through and take the pictures the first time around. And I remember when Puerto Rico came through, the national team came through, and it's the first time I actually – Jen was actually the only one that came up and speak to me because everyone else was speaking Spanish, and mm -hmm. I guess uh, we, we, <laughs> the two English people in the room kind of connected. But I remember when they, when they came through, there was, they were joking more amongst each other uh, than any of the other teams. The other teams were kind of just going through, doing their job. You know, they had, maybe one or two of the girls were taking pictures, uh, you know, goofy shots. But the, the entire team was coming through and, and were joking. And they didn't want to leave, uh, you know, having to take pictures. Like, they, they almost had to, get, you know, get forced out of the room. And I felt to me that I was like, this is a team. This is what yeah. it's supposed to be to be together. Is that something that, you know, head coach Jerry Batista is, is, uh, has kind of implemented? Is that something that he's brought to the program that wasn't maybe there before? No, Jerry's just a coach. 
Jerry has nothing to do with like how 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 we are, how we build chemistry. Nah, he just he comes in there, he tells us the game plan, what we're gonna do, how we're gonna do it, how long we're gonna practice. All that stuff is is genuine and it's just like natural for us. It's not anything that was like cultivated or anything like that. It's just that's how we are with each other. And yeah, they do they enjoy taking pictures. Like extremely, <laughs> like two to the max. Like I'm the one who wants to like get in and out and leave quick. And they'll just stay there for hours if you let them and look at the pictures and then can I take some more? Like that's just that's just how they are. Yeah, this group been together for, for quite a while now and what they achieve, it's it's huge. They beat Cuba for the first time in history, then they eliminate Brazil to go to the World Cup. They go to the World Cup for the first time. Then they beat Cuba again. They lost against Brazil in Puerto Rico. We, you and I were there, Carlin. And then they managed to go to France and beat Brazil in the it's a huge game. You know, this team has a lot of history together. Yeah. That's 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 what I wanted to really hear about, um, Jennifer. I was just, you know, that such a famous result i mean you know we can focus on the celebrations after we saw it. it was amazing obviously beating brazil getting the win you needed which kind of got you to a first ever olympic games but mm-hmm. i was more interested in in kind of the before the game and i know athletes always say you know you've got to be confident and everything like this was the history as um natalia has just mentioned was that history on your mind what were the thoughts of the team going into the game confidence wise and, and also I mean to play and actually come out on top it was it was an actually an amazing game not just a, a legendary yeah. result yeah um I think as a team we just knew like our best chance was going to be against Brazil we were going to compete every game but we had to th- this was going to be it for us um and yeah going into a game confident is is a is a must. The minute you doubt yourself, is like you you just you might as well just not play at all. Um, but I, I just you know you're just in the moment. Like I, I just uh, for me personally, I I was super focused, like hyper focused on what I had to do, um, how I had to play, how how we had to perform as a team, um, and then you just go out and you you're so locked in that it's just possession by possession by possession you just you just you just so locked in that nothing else is really happening until the the end of the game no I was just about to say such a roller coaster mentally though within the game um I mean we I was kind of following the live stats trying to um catch a bit of the action um in between the work we were doing in in Ostend which was a great group which we've spoke about and every time I looked at it it was just there was another twist um, obviously, it went overtime as well. Um, when you're in, when you're in a game like that, um, how difficult is it, kind of mentally, to, to to roll with the punches, and you know, especially when you know what could be on the line, which is this amazing opportunity to go to go to the first Olympics, not just for you, but obviously for the country as well in terms of basketball. I mean, you know, basketball is a game of runs, though. Like it's gonna be highs and lows, so you can't get too high, you can't get too low. You got to stay even, you got to stay balanced. So it's not really like when when all that stuff is happening, we're competing. That's what's happening. That's it. We're just out there leaving it all on the floor and we're competing. So there's going to be times where Brazil has momentum and we have momentum, you know, but it's just 
you ride the wave and then you figure out, you make adjustments on the fly. Like mm-hmm. that's how you sustain that. You must have, you must have blown out your cheeks when I th- was it Pamela made a free throw to tie in regulation. But I think she missed the first, didn't she? And uh, yeah. she had to miss the second to kind of tie. I bet you had a, a, a blow out of the cheeks at that point when she made the shot. No, honestly, like, um, no, I wasn't, I'm not, I'm not, like I said, I was just, none of that stuff was phasing me in that moment at all, at all. I, we just, the, the goal was to win. That was it. Some way, somehow, find a way to win. Yeah, Jerry, I, I was talking to Jerry, like, Four days ago, we were on a, on a chat together talking, and he said, "I don't know if you remember this." He he, he was telling us that at the end of the game, he says, I, "You know, the system is not working because they are switching everything." And and what I'm gonna do is just I'm gonna use Jennifer as a point guard, and let's just go for the pick and roll. It was on you. He said that those last minutes in the game, he just gave the the whole a, a responsibility because Pamela and and Daishali went to the bench and it was you playing the one. Yeah, but I mean, no, I, I remember that, but I remember playing a lot of pick and roll. Yes, I, I do remember that. But the thing is, like, it was late in the game. We were getting we were getting baskets from everybody now. Yes, you know. So Besides now it's like, huge. so it's like okay. It, uh, it was Jazz's turn, my turn, Ali's turn, you know, uh, Ice's turn, uh, Dai's turn, Pamela, Thida was playing great defense. Like, you know, going to the basket, it was like everybody had their moment. And without those pieces, we wouldn't have won that game. That actually, that actually brings me to my next question because you, you've played, uh, you know, at a high level in Europe. You've played at a high level in college. But some of the girls hadn't hadn't had you know those type of moments on a on a stage as big as there was you know getting a chance to punch your ticket to the Olympic Games uh, for the first time in the country's history. Did anyone kind of you know step up that you were you were looking over your shoulder like wow like I knew she had it in her but we should, we needed a moment like this to put the proof in the pudding. Um yeah, Allie, Allie for sure. Mm-hmm. Allie came out. She hit a she had a four point play. She had she was getting uh rebounds. She was just making hustle plays, you know? Um and then she started scoring and they weren't expecting her to score. So that kind of you know, that put us in a good situation as well. But Ali just came in with so much energy that it was like yeah. it was exactly what we needed at that moment. Talking of course right. of uh Ali Gibson who who knocked down that big three. I think that's one of the 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 because we were doing a game. Me and Natalia were in the middle of calling game. Natalia was completely, uh, you know, <laughs> somewhere else. She was knee deep in the middle of that battle between uh, Puerto Rico and Brazil. Uh, kind of left me so we on doing, the broadcast. I think we were <laughs> doing okay. Japan and Belgium, right? We were doing Japan yeah. and Belgium, and I just left Carlin talking by himself. <laughs> yeah, she was completely out. It was just me by myself. But the one <laughs> highlight that I did see was Ali knocking down that three. Yeah, and 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 I think what what may have helped to correct me if I'm wrong I, I felt like the gym you, you kind of turned into a home game for you guys like it was almost like the rest of the uh you know country of France was like all right well France not playing at the moment but you know what we're all Puerto Rican fans at the moment yeah you know what it, I think you know um who doesn't love an underdog right mm-hmm. and I think that's what right. it was they we went to France and we were not supposed to win one goddamn game Nobody expected us to win. 
and we won. But Carlin, I, I did. I, I predicted that you guys would uh, yes. would, would punch your ticket. I was I was firm in that. But yeah, I don't want to my own horn. That, Continue. I, I think that you know because I think France, the the fans in France, fell in love with us because how hard we played. Mm-hmm. You know, like who who doesn't want somebody that works hard that gives it everything they have like. And that's, I mean, Brazil did the same thing, man. I I, can, I applaud Brazil. I, I, I love their team, love their coach. Like, they have a phenomenal program. But it was just, you know, that we, we France gave us energy and we gave them that same energy back. And Je- Je- Jennifer, um, one thing that really, really always interests me is that we can talk about players, games, you know, it'll be on, on YouTube forever. Um, but at, at what point as an athlete does it, kind of sink in that you, you're going to the Olympics? Is it kind of like in that split second when you're maybe looking out the window and the coach going back to the hotel? Is it when you turn the light out before before bed? You know, what, at what point in those moments do you really, really have a think about, you know, what you've accomplished and also what lies ahead? Um, I think I'll have that moment when I get to Tokyo. But right now it's just like, you know, back to normal. But after the game, I was... um. I was emotional because I was so happy for my teammates. Mm-hmm. Like I was so happy for Pamela. Like you know to see them, to to see how happy they were that we had made history. Like that, I got the most joy out of that. But uh, it still hasn't hit me, and I don't think it will until I get to Tokyo. Jennifer, I want to talk to about a, a weird experience <laughs> that happens in in France. I don't know if you guys watched the Last Dance. Uh-huh. Uh, three and four, yep. you know, Phil Jackson was saying about how shocked he was when somebody killed a rooster and throw a blood over the visiting team, whatever. That was in 1974. Yeah. Well, well, something like that happens in France with a Cuban coach. Oh, wow. No, were you there? You know, well, not. that's what Daishali told me that uh, the Cuban coach throws some white powder. Oh, that was in Canada. <laughs> in Canada, I'm sorry. That was in Canada. Yeah. I don't so I, I don't really know. You know, I, I don't really I don't play with that stuff and mm-hmm. I don't <laughs> <laughs> They have powder all over their uniform and in in the locker room and on the I don't know what that I'm not with it. I'm not you know, I'm not even gonna speak on it because I don't want that type of energy. Yeah. <laughs> I, feel, I feel you on that one. But that's that's to tell you, like, uh, global basketball, there's so many different things when you go from yeah. country to country uh, how, in, in terms of rituals, in terms of ways of psyching teams out. Uh, I mean, I'll always find, you know, from some of the top things for me is, you know, watching New Zealand do the haka before, you know, a, a yeah, national team beautiful. game. That's I love always, that. It's always I, awesome to I me to watch. That. And uh, guys, t- talking about strange things, um, you were talking kind of um, freely last night before we hit the the record button on our failed podcast um, about an earthquake or something that when you were at a tournament. Do you want to tell myself and the viewers about, and well, the listeners rather, about that one? I didn't know the earthquake was happening. I was laying in bed and I was trying to go to sleep and I was struggling to go to sleep. Um, and I just feel like my bed shaking and I'm like, Laying there, I'm like, oh, this is perfect. I don't know what's happening, but this is going to put me right to sleep. And then I hear people yelling and running in the hallway. And uh, me and Jazz look at each other. Jasmine Guapi. And um, she's like, you were looking at each other like, well, who's going to go to the door? Like, you're closer. but So she goes and checks, and then she winds up telling me that it was an earthquake. And 
yeah, that was my experience with it, though. And where, where were we talking about in which which tournament? We this... were at Puerto Rico for yeah. uh, for the America Cup. Mm-hmm. The America, 2019 America Cup. So it wasn't even, it hadn't even been a year yet, right? No. Mm-hmm. No, that... I just thought of Carlin because I said, this poor guy from Charlotte, he's not used to earthquake. <laughs> I wrote him right away, Carlin, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I felt something under, under the bed. And that was just the beginning of four months non-stopping earthquake here. It was terrible. Yeah, I mean, there was a couple, right, that whole week. I only felt the one, the, the one big one. And, and Paul, when I tell you that it was one of the, you know, scariest moments, not really scariest, but interesting moments of my life, uh, this is up there. I'm sitting there watching. I think I was watching the WNBA finals because that was going on at mm-hmm. the time. And, uh, you know, I was tired. We, we were doing, Natalia and I were doing four games a day. You know, those long FIBA days when, uh, you know, you're just doing game to game to game and they, they all kind of kind of blend together at the end of it. And I'm lying there and I honestly swear on everything, thought someone was underneath my bed shaking it. That And I went to look underneath it. No one there. And then while I'm doing that, I'm realizing the entire hotel is swaying back and forth as if someone was just pushing it in the wind. Uh, I could see out the window that the streetlights were rocking. And then it hit me there that I was uh, in the middle of an earthquake. And by that time, my mind registered it. It was it was already over. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I don't know anything about earthquakes from being a, a, a British person who just has gray drizzle. And light rain most of the time, but there's one piece of advice I can give you, Colin: never look under a hotel bed for the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the first and last time I did it, but uh, and it was it was it was needed. I, I honestly thought someone was underneath the bed shaking it, so it was a uh, was a, a interesting experience. When I told Natalia that, by the way, she's being nice now, but when I told Natalia that at the time, I mean, she had tears rolling down her cheeks, laughing so hard at me. Yeah, because <laughs> you guys were close to the ocean. Next time you got to act faster because if, if the earthquake would have happened in the north coast, you had to run because you were next, right next to the ocean, but it happened in the, in the south side and we felt that in the north. Yeah, they, they were saying something like it was 0.5 away from mm-hmm. on the Richter scale from being a tsunami uh, yeah. threat. And we were literally, uh, the hotel that we were staying, it was literally on the ocean. So right uh, dodged one right there. Oh. Just um, su- switching gears, Colin, um, mentioned before, uh, well, I think it was Natalia mentioned, uh, the, you know, the great documentary, uh, The Last Dance. And we were talking yesterday about um, basically if, if there was a women's version, obviously you can't really compete with the greatest player who's ever played cleared the game in, in, in MJ, but um, we're just going to have this discussion that you knew exactly the player, um, if they were to do something similar, who you would want to see in the, in the women's game. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it, it's it's less of a, it's less of a player, more of a team, because I mean, the last dance is, it is centered around Michael Jordan, but it's supposed to be centered around, you know, the Chicago Bulls and the franchise and the dynasty that they are. It, for yeah. me, if they were able to do that, uh, you know, in the women's game, it would 110% be about the Houston Commons of uh, of you know the early when the league started because they were the most dominant franchise period in the WNBA for you know four or five six year stretch uh, you know multiple championships four titles in in five seasons uh, you know Cheryl Swoops Cynthia Cooper uh, Tina Thompson the list goes on of greats that went through there and you know were able to kind of take off at a time. Uh, and, and put the league sort of on their shoulders at a time where the league was just, you know, trying to find its legs. And to be able to, you know, look at the league now without the Houston comments, 
comets in the in the league at all is is you know it, it's crazy to think about it because a lot of people that weren't born in the 90s wouldn't even know that this team was as dominant as they were so for me it would have to be it, we won't call it the last dance let's call it the last takeoff because it's the use of comets yeah. <laughs> what, what, what about what about an individual um if there was one on an individual player who who would you want to see a kind of fly on the wall documentary about their past or present I, I'm going Diana Taurasi. I think she's she's just you know the goat. So I'll uh, you know following her and and also for me less about her her career in America, more so about her career uh, in Europe. Because being you know growing up in North America, we didn't have the opportunity to watch her game to game as we do in the WNBA. So I, I would love to uh, see the damage that she was able to do in Europe and and uh, and and really kind of create the uh, legacy that she's she's made for herself. I would really like to to have one of those about Maya Moore just because everything that she's doing after basketball and how she decided not to play ball anymore to do something else that is so important. I would like to know where all this comes from. Yeah, that would, that would be, that would be interesting as well. I think there's, I think there's lots out there just whether there would be an appetite for that. But um, for me, having listened to, I don't know if you guys have checked out the podcast that um, Tarazi and Bird, did together about that time with Shabtai at uh, at Spartak and some of the some of the stories there. I yeah, mean, that was a really good. That was a good episode. Yeah, it was it was spectacular. It was really really good. I mean that would that would make such a such a great documentary as well. Um, anyone that you would like to to kind of see as a, as a an athlete, one of your peers, Jennifer, or somebody from the past, maybe. Um, I would like to see Tarasi as well. But I don't, I mean, I don't want to see, like, her games. I want to see, like, raw footage of, like, her workouts. Mm -hmm. Like, not really, yeah. like, her games. Like, I want to know her mental, like, how she worked out. Like, I want stuff like that. Yeah. And, I, you know, that um, I think it sometimes gets lost um, with with Tarazi um, that she she made the, I mean, the, the rivalry between Galatasaray and Fenerbahce is, like, you know, as deep as any rivalry in any sport between any clubs mm. in the world. And, I mean, she's one of the very few players who obviously cross that divide. Maybe if you're a Turkish player, it's less of an, an issue. Um, but, you know, even just behind all of what went on then, it's just... I think it would would make an incredible story, and you're right about kind of what she's what, what she's doing away from the the court. Um, yeah, I, I I wish it could happen to be honest. Um, before she before she fades away as a as a player, because uh, I think apart from well, it's it, it's a topic for another discussion as to who who is the greatest of all time when it comes to women's basketball. But you know, I I think really she's she's got to be in the top two, maybe three, but. Yeah, for me, I mean, if you could do it, do a, a documentary on her, it would be a compulsive viewing, and I think also compulsive viewing for people who aren't necessarily women's basketball fans. Oh, now that you're talking about the WNBA, uh, Carlin, you said you were going to answer this in this podcast. Who should start, Tina Charles or Emma Messerman? Because oh, I know what Paul, I know what Paul's going to say. Yeah, I, 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 I think I know what Paul's going to say as well. But I, I, for me, it'd be crazy not to start Emma Messerman. I mean, like, knock it off. The girls. You, you also the, think that Emma Messerman should start with Tina Charles? She's one of the five best players in the world today. Right now, as we sit here, she's one of the five best players in the world today, bar yeah. none. She should 100% start. And, and, and the ball essentially should go through her hands. She's one of the best players on the team. Yeah, I like her game yeah. too. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you pl- I, have you played Tina Charles? Yeah, you did in here in Puerto Rico, right? Uh, yeah. Jen. I played both of them, yeah. You play both. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's, there's times you've got to remember that uh, Messerman plays, you know, alongside Brittany Griner for periods. Mm-hmm. Or Katrenberg, and you don't get, you know, Charles is up there the size of the size of Griner, and Emma's just got such a smooth game, you know, she just she just makes the adjustments. And actually, um, I was just having a look at her stats for something different for for, for a, a different project with feedback today, and I think she shot something crazy like sixty seven percent during the regular season, you know, in Euroleague women. I mean, it just she's just a machine. She's just a glorious. Glorious machine in my book. That's incredible. Sixty-seven percent. That's in, that's insane. Uh, and, and by the way, she's in the prime of her career. Like Tina Charles has had a great run, yeah. no question about it. She's also thirty-one years old. Emma Messman's mid-twenties. Like it's we. It's it's time. I I am I am a fan to uh, of respecting our elders, but uh, you know it's uh, it's time to to give the uh, elders. The she's thirty years old. I know what are she's you younger than about me. Elders. She's, she's younger than me, but I mean I'm just saying <laughs> it bas- basketball wise, basketball wise, she's 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 older than Emma, and you know she's she's got to come off the bench again. Uh, wow. <laughs> I don't yeah, know that, about that. I, I also I, I think if if Tina's still putting numbers out there and she's still doing her job and you know she got to take that position out of her hands. I think and you know Tina I've just got go. um I've just got Messerman's numbers up here um, from Euroleague <laughs> women. I'm not a numbers guy, but if you Zumba. if you look at the raw if you you know these people often who shoot such high percentages maybe are people coming off the bench. You know, quite low volume. Um, if I give you the raw figures here, she shot. Um, where is it? She shot 119 shots in the season, so not not a small amount, and she made 80. Oh wow! So she shot 67.2 percent. That's crazy. It's you know just just machine like you know just mm-hmm. so efficient. It's it's unbelievable, and uh, you know I'm always impressed though because I think playing for Belgium really helps her because she also handed out more than three assists per game and I think that comes from having to be a leader for Belgium so when she's with the Mystics and and obviously for Ekaterinburg as well she's surrounded by you know a, a bigger depth of, of talent but still she's still handing out the assists and no she doesn't have to force it so she just comes so naturally That's such a great player yeah, she's uh she's awesome. Like I said, I, I I don't you know mix words when I say she's one of the five best players uh, in the world today. Um, we, we were talking about documentaries, and it popped into my mind that there's a good chance, Jen, that uh, there might be a documentary made about your team that you're currently on that you know we're able to punch your ticket to the Olympic Games, also get to the World Cup and everything around that. Um, so with that in mind, what would be some of the topics that they would have to hit to tell the story, uh, if they were to make a documentary about your Puerto Rican national team? Some of the topics? Um, give me, give me three of them. Um, (laughs) uh, one for sure is how the chemistry of the team. Um, the second would be. Um, a look at all, all uh, a look at all of my teammates and what they do besides basketball, mm-hmm. because they don't do it professionally, and we were still able to accomplish what we did. Um, um, not that they Just, don't do it professionally, but you understand, like they have another job 
Like it, it isn't their main job. Um, just really thinking of the third one, Jen. You know, you know when you when you talk about that, that um, the players aren't professional. Is it? Is it? Or, you know, the way you phrased it is not not full time professionals. Maybe playing at a higher level, like most of the nations. Is no, it, what they, I'm saying is like, Pamela plays basketball, but she's also a teacher. Yeah. You know, um, Michelle I, plays basketball, but she's also a lawyer. Like, you know, it's not it's not something that is the is their only primary source of income. That's not it. Yeah. And the, the I, league I, in I Puerto a, Rico lasts was, three months. That's all they play. Three yeah, months. exactly. So that's it's all like, they play. and it, it, it and and just from you asking me that, Paul, that's why it would have to be a topic. Yeah, I think I was going to say that there was a there's a small and very nice irony about that though, and that. Um, when you think about the Olympic spirit and, you know, there's been a lot of, um, I think in certain sports, there's been a lot of pushback. Um, I know soccer has won, tennis, golf, all these types of sports about the big stars, the pro stars, you know, and that the spirit of a lot of the Olympic events yeah. has been people who are maybe, I mean, that's the wrong word, semi-professional or do have to do other jobs. Um, and it, it kind of, for me, it's like, there is a part of it that's nice, but it's also a bit of a disappointment that they can't make all of their careers um, being athletes first. So right. it's kind yeah. of a double yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, for as far as, like, women's basketball, we're, I think that people will be surprised to know that the a lot of players on uh, the Puerto Rican national team, basketball is not their primary source of income. Mm-hmm. And I think that would definitely need to be a topic. Because people don't know that. People don't even understand that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So definitely the chemistry. Um, uh, my teammates, what they do besides basketball as their primary source of income. Um, the third one. <laughs> um, I, think it, I think it would just be a great story of, of the underdogs going just like you did, going to France. Just be so good just to see a down-to-earth team not not that all the other teams aren't necessarily down to earth but just obviously maybe not having the same resources or depth and what you guys have to generally generally rely on and coming together would be would be a great fly in the wall documentary i think yeah i think the third topic would definitely have to be like all the losses that we've had Mm -hmm. you know like how 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 we got to where we where we got where we are now like everything we've gone through from being at the very bottom you know from like just not being good enough to getting better to I, I think that whole process of progress needs to be shown so chemistry what my teammates do aside from playing basketball or playing in Puerto Rico for 3 months um and the struggles the struggles. Who 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 doesn't want to see a glimpse of what it really really took to get to where you are right now? Speak, speaking, of, speaking of the struggles, before we before we uh, before we let you uh, get up on out of here and 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 move on and do better things than uh, this this little podcast that we have you on. <laughs> uh, one of the biggest struggles for one of your teammates uh, was Dasha Lee Salaman, who who got hurt in France. Uh, yeah. And had the Olympic Games been happening a month from now or a month or two from now, she wouldn't have been able to participate. But right. 
she might be able to participate next summer with the COVID-19 situation, pushing the games back an entire year, allows her to kind of get back strong and able to, to, to participate. She is one of a, a big piece of what you guys do uh, with the national team. Well, first of all, what was your thoughts when it initially happened for her? Uh, and, and secondly, when you found out that she might be able to, to actually participate in next summer? Um, When it first happened, I just didn't, I was just numb really, honestly. Like I was just, I just wanted her to be okay. Like mentally, I just wanted her to be okay. Physically, I wanted her to be okay. And then uh, when I found out what it was, it's like, it's devastating because we accomplished something and she was a part of it. And to have it kind of like taken away in that very moment, it's, I could only imagine what she was going through. Um, but I think that she will be, uh, she'll be back for the Tokyo games. I'm not even concerned about that. Fantastic. So happy for her. And, but that kind of epitomizes the roller coaster ride you've had as a team as well. The roller coaster ride you had within that game against Brazil. And obviously, you know, for her as an individual athlete, another roller coaster. I think that's what sport's about, though, isn't it? It's just having to, having to deal with all the, the vast highs and vast lows. Yeah. I mean, that's just what life is about, right? Yeah, true. You fail, true. you learn, you get up, or you decide to stay down. It's up to you. You make the decisions. You. You decide what you want to do with your life and how it's going to go and how you're going to look at it and the perspective that you're going to have on it. But that's just life in general. Like this is basketball, just a piece of it. Last hour with you, I feel like you have this perspective on life that not many people your age kind of have where Mm -hmm. uh, you you take the punches, you roll with what what you can control and and so be it. Where where does that come from? Where did you find that? Uh, Is it something that you were just born with or was that something that uh, through the years and maybe not, maybe you didn't realize it at the time, but someone kind of instilled in you as you, as you grew up. Um, I don't know if I was born with it, but you know, I'm a huge, like, it's going to sound super weird, weird, but I, I like to watch, like, I like to watch people. Like I'm a people watcher and it's like, I like to watch behaviors and how people react to certain situations. And for me, it's just, what is me being negative going to do for me? What is me being negative going to do for you? If I came to this interview and had a bad attitude, we probably wouldn't have been on this interview for an hour. We probably would have been maybe 20 minutes. If I didn't come with energy, if I didn't come with positivity, it wouldn't have been a, a good interview. Nobody would enjoy it. And my whole thing is like, it's less stressful when you, when you, the when the, when you understand that the reality is, you can only control what you do. And I just think that I don't know where it came from. I just I don't know. I'm just happy that I have that 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 outlook on everything. And that's that's really how I feel. That's how I approach things. Um I understand that, you know, it's a gift to have this life that we have. And you know, I always wanna grow and be a better person and be kind and be humble and and thoughtful and compassionate. And um, those are things that I focus on. And I think that I focused on it enough to um, allow myself to grow in in those areas. And just like I pay attention and watch people, I pay attention to myself as well. I've I've learned through the years that uh, when you're doing an interview, you're supposed to end on a high note. I don't think there's a higher note that we can end on than that (laughs) right there. Jennifer O'Neill, appreciate you spending time with us here on the Women's Basketball Worldwide podcast. 
thank you guys so much. This is so dope what you guys are doing. I hope, like, I wish you the most success. Thank you for listening to the Women's Basketball Worldwide Podcast.